You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously. It doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host. Alas, poor Elliot, I knew him well. When shall we three meet again in thunder, lightning, or in rain? Evander Kane is an oiler. The Philadelphia Flyers are signing blank checks and the Coyotes are playing at ASU. Welcome once again to 32 Thoughts, the podcast presented by the all-new GMC AT4 lineup. And buckle up, uh, the day has arrived. Elliot Friedman, Evander Kane is now officially an Edmonton oiler. It's a day we all thought we'd get to. We didn't know when we would arrive at this day, but the NHL finding insufficient evidence uh, to conclude that uh, Evander Kane knowingly uh, misrepresented himself uh, regarding his COVID status or test results in connection with international travel. Do you have a timeline here? Like this seems like a, this such a crucial week for Vander Kane and the Oilers. Can you walk us through what happened this week? Sure. I, I would actually go back to, you know, the moment that his contract was terminated and everybody began to figure out here that he was non-restricted free agent. I think people were just kind of, you know, grabbing their bearings. What does this mean? And then some teams started reaching out. Did I tell this story on the podcast that I was talking to a general manager on that day when Kane hit unconditional waivers? Because the the waivers hit at 2 p.m. Eastern. Mm -hmm. And we were on the phone and I had my AirPods in. And all of a sudden, a text came by saying, I think Evander Kane's on unconditional waivers and the gm checked too and he was like yes and i was double checking because i didn't believe it at first and that executive was like hmm i wonder wonder what he wants to do from here so i immediately knew that there was going to be some interest yeah team started talking about it it started heating up a bit and then the nhl They slowed down the process by sending out an email a couple weeks ago that Evander Kane was under investigation for how he crossed the border into Canada on December the 29th. And that really slowed everything down. And who do I think was in it? Obviously, Edmonton was in it. You know, Florida was in it. Tampa was in it. And then they pulled out. Calgary was around it, but I don't know how serious Carolina, too, was a team that was in it for a while. You know, I found out just last weekend that Washington was around it and they were doing their due diligence. They never offered a contract, but they were clearly in it. And then word started to get out last weekend that it looked like Kane was going to be cleared. You know, I kept checking, but I kept on getting warned that the final report wasn't through yet. And until the final report was through, it wasn't certain. But the Oilers seemed to believe at least that 
it didn't seem like there was going to be any additional discipline. And we talked about this at one point on the podcast, Jeff, but the Canadian Border Services wouldn't confirm anything to me. Mm-hmm. But I had a tip that they were investigating Kane's border crossing. And they were interviewing the officer or officers who'd spoken to Kane, and they were also going through their video. And I believe that was the basis of this NHL investigation is what was said when Kane crossed the border. And if you looked at the statement that the NHL released on Thursday night, it said no further discipline because of insufficient evidence to do so. So I think what it came down to was what was the exchange in that border crossing? This is an educated guess for me. If I'm wrong, I'll admit to being wrong, but this is what a couple of people have told me. It came down to what happened in that interview, and I just don't think it could be proven or shown that Kane had said anything wrong. And then once that was done, he had to pick the team, and Edmonton played in Vancouver on Monday or on Tuesday, I believe that Ken Holland and Dave Tippett went out with Evander Kane probably for dinner on Monday night in Vancouver or met for dinner. Look, I don't want to get any anybody in any COVID trouble here. I, I think it was all done on the up and up, but I think they met with him face-to-face and they got it all sorted out. And I think after about that meeting, if Kane was going anywhere, it was most likely going to be in Edmonton and that turned out to be the case. Okay, so how does the NHL's decision impact on the grievance with the Sharks now, Elliot? So I've seen a lot of people asking about this. Well, he isn't getting suspended further, so doesn't he win his grievance? The answer is not necessarily. What we should point out here is that the investigation was into how he crossed the border and did he cross it illegally. The contract termination was because he broke protocol And also, he returned to the team a week later than he was supposed to. Now, obviously, Kane is fighting those things. We don't know how yet the arbitrator will rule or if that is going to be settled. But these two situations are different. Just because Kane didn't receive any additional penalty has nothing to do with the contract termination and whether or not he wins that case. Now, this is, you know, outside of being a a controversial move, This is a high risk, but high reward, a potentially high reward move here. If you're the Edmonton Oilers here in this situation, are you just simply looking at this as he has the potential to really help here? It doesn't cost us anything other than the contract. So we have one more contract spot. We don't have to give up any compensation other than the salary. Essentially, this is a free player. Except it takes up $2.1 million in cap space. Correct. And accounts for one more against your 50 contracts. But what do you think this says about the state of the Oilers right now? Should we read anything into it? I definitely think it shows you that the desperation in the Oilers to make the playoffs. How many times have I said in the last month? I actually had someone text me and say, if you say it's not an option <laughs> for the Oilers to miss the playoffs again, I'm unsubscribing from the podcast. So we've just lost one listener. Okay, sorry. Nice knowing you. I think it just shows you that you know the Oilers, as you said, aside from the money, it's a free player. And that's what this is about. Like I said, I think there were some teams who were in on this. I think there were a lot of teams who said, we're not touching this. We are not doing this. Mm-hmm. But Edmonton was desperate, especially when this was going on. 
over the last week before they won a couple of games. And I think they just said, we have to do this. Opinion on this is really split as well. Like to your mm-hmm. point about some teams saying, we don't want to do this. Uh, we don't want to do this to our team. Because if you look at the history of Evander Kane, and this even predates, you know, NHL, things haven't always ended up well hasn't always ended up in a good spot for Evander Kane and the team that he leaves. Mm-hmm. I mean, part of me says, okay, they have to make the playoffs here. You know, Evander Kane's not going to play net. We know that issue still has to be addressed, but are they helping themselves on the ice? Yeah, but at what cost? And we don't know what the cost is yet because we don't know how this relationship is going to go. But the one thing, Elliot, curious what you think about this statement. The one thing that I do know for sure is that no matter what happens here with Evander Kane and the Edmonton Oilers, they can't feign surprise. If it doesn't work and it collapses, it goes up in flames, they can't see, well, we didn't see that coming. Or if the room disintegrates, we didn't see that coming. It's a risk. They've completely lost the ability to say, we didn't see this coming. Or, wow, we're surprised that it didn't work out. And listen, I hope for Edmonton's sake and for Evander Kane's sake that this is a great relationship and it works out well. You like to see teams get in order. You certainly like to see people get their lives in order as well. I hope it does work out. But what's the old line? History doesn't always repeat itself, but sometimes it rhymes. Old quote that I like to throw at you whenever you talk about, uh, what's the one that you always like to use? The best indicator of future behavior is past behavior. Yep. This is a situation where, okay, you can make it. It's risky, but you can't be surprised if it blows up. You know, Jeff, one thing I did get, I got a couple of calls just from people saying, you know, Elliot, you're not really aware, I don't think, of the NHL's opposition to this move. I think they're worried that something could go wrong. I think they went really hard at the investigation about crossing the border. They didn't find anything, but they certainly didn't not try to look, I guess, is the way to put it. And I think they're not happy that Edmonton and other teams looked into this and that Edmonton signed them. And so we'll see where this goes, but I don't think the NHL is very thrilled about it. When do we see him in Edmonton uniform? I had heard that they wanted him to play on Saturday. They play in Montreal on Saturday, and I had heard they wanted him. They were hoping they could have him for that game. You know, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, We'll also see about the Arizona Coyotes and where they will ply their trade next season. Yes. Arizona State University. On radio this afternoon, that would be Thursday, you said, I think this is a done deal. Yep. Like this sounds and looks and smells like it's a deal that is close to being official. What do you hear? What do you know? So... We were working on this story for some time, and in credit to Craig Morgan, who got it done before we did, and uh, you know he beat me to it. It's that simple. But I have been hearing that this is going to happen for a while now, and you know one of the reasons that I hadn't written it yet was because I felt that I didn't have a good enough answer to some of the questions, and I think what Craig did that was smarter than me in this particular case was he said they were deep in negotiations. Like, I think it's much more than that. I think if the team is in Arizona next year, this is where they're going to play. And I think it's basically a done deal. Now, some of the things that Craig um, didn't address that I've been working on, as he points out, the seating for the arena is supposed to be 5,000. See, one of the interesting things I was told this afternoon after I spoke to you, Jeff, Mm -hmm. is that if you look at the CBA... 
Section 34 of the CBA, Article 34, talks about, for example, things like visiting dressing rooms and visiting weight rooms. And they have to be done to certain specifications. And someone said to me, that could be one of the things that you're talking about, is that you know they might have to change that Arizona State arena to fit for especially for visitors that it reaches NHL specifications. And I thought that was interesting. I think it's possible. So even though it's 5,000 as quoted in the article and on their website, mm-hmm. I've had people tell me the attendance could actually be 3,200. And like I said, I've heard this is pretty far along that maybe they haven't said, yes, it's a done deal, but there are people who've been told to expect that's where Arizona is going to play the next couple of years. I think there's also a question about whether or not it'll be ready at the start of next season. I have heard that the key dates here are in the second week of February, like February 10th to 14th. That is when some of the money is due. Like one of the things Craig reported that I didn't know was that the Coyotes themselves ownership would have to pay 15 to 20 million for the renovations and things like that, right? Mm -hmm. I think that those payments have to be in around February 10th to 14th, like in that area. So that's the other thing they have to hit here. Yeah. One of the other things that people had raised to me, and that is that, you know, Arizona State's hockey schedule is done next year. Are you going to tell people the Coyotes are never going to be able to play next year on Friday or Saturday night at home? You know, that's a big concern. You know, obviously, there's the revenue question. Like Before we get there, because I do want to get to the Players Association's viewpoint on all of this. And yes, Brad Marchand, social media as well. But we should couch it this way. This is couched in the idea that they get the new arena done in Tempe. Yes. Okay. So huge questions if that goes south and they don't get the arena deal. After that, then it's wild. Yes. And it's wide open. I think that's a great point that you make is that if they're not guaranteed the arena after this year, does this all change? That's why I said if they're playing in Arizona next year, I think this is where they're going. And so this would be, if they get the deal in Tempe, this is like three, maybe four years until they can build a rink. And so this is that home. And so one of the things that you do worry about is hockey-related revenue. Players, of course, very concerned about escrow and uh, teams that are, uh, as we saw famously in Brad Marchand's tweet to the Carolina Hurricanes, um, you know, drags on hockey-related revenue. This one would certainly be a challenge. We haven't heard from the Players Association yet on this how do you think they feel about this recent development not happy the issue though is jeff what can they really do about it and i asked someone is there anything specific in the cba that they can do to say we block this and that's where the person actually told me about the facilities issue in article 34 and what he said to me is aside from that he's not sure there's anything that they can really do. However, I think they're going to make a stink about it. Mm -hmm. One of my only predictions that turned out right this year Mm -hmm. is that there's going to be a Brad Marchand tweet about this. Matt Coleman, who's a reporter based in Boston, quote tweeted the Sportsnet article about this, the rewrite, and said, what do you think about this one? And he tagged Brad Marchand. And Marchand responded, well, the only way they get 5,000 fans at their games now 
is if they give 4500 away for free so it wouldn't change much. Yeah. So of all the teams in the league this year, Arizona has the lowest ticket revenue per game. I've been told it's about $525,000 a game. And this was in December, and they're down 8% from last year. So the only team this year as of December that was lower was Buffalo. And Buffalo was the team that was down you know, 47%. It's not a lot of revenue. And if the goal is just to say, can you get to that by having less people but charging more for tickets? I mean, that's a question. If your tickets are more expensive in Arizona, is that going to be okay or not okay for your fans? Only they know that. But I think the Players Association is not happy. I've had some people say to me today that it's their duty to fight this. I mean, Bettman could always step up and say, look, if I contract the team, that's 23 plus jobs lost. But I don't think that's what he wants to do either. You know, you've had your solution out there before, which I'll get you to repeat in a second so people can be reminded of it. But, you know, one of the things we've talked about is that Marchand is speaking up at a time where it's a little bit dicey with the Players Association because the players are pissed off about the Olympics and there probably is going to be a search for a new leader. Like one of the things that's actually happened is the Players Association wants to have its first in-person agent meeting in a couple of years. I'm hearing that they want to have a meeting in April. And one of the things I think that's going to be addressed there is going to be the succession plan or if there's a succession plan for Donald Fear. And it comes at a time where the players are a little militant about the Olympics you know, if Marchand is any indication, are they going to start taking a bit more of an active role, which some people have said they've needed to do for some time, but they haven't. You are going to have players saying a 5,000-seat arena. I had one player text me today and say, are we in the Ontario Hockey League? So this is a bit of a minefield. There's no question about that. Someone texted me today, similar to that vein. It's funny, someone texted you saying, are we in the OHL here? Someone texted me saying, are you really going to tell me that Shane Wright, Connor Bedard, Matt Mitchkoff, whomever, are going to start their NHL careers, like big name first overall draft picks in a 5,000 seat arena? I'm like, yeah, that's the plan. Like the Coyotes are going to do this with a lot of kids and some really high draft picks and, you know, a lot of college free agents that they sign. I, like I said, I, I think this is a bit of a landmine for the PA. I'm not sure what they can do, but I think you're going to see them under pressure to really try to make some noise about this. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that they do something, but I don't know what they can do more than to stomp their feet and make it an issue and raise awareness uh, around it. I'm not really sure that they honestly have any say in the matter. They can't block it. Players can be upset about it, certainly. You know what part of me wonders too, Elliot? Again, but I always wonder about, you know, the final minute do things get changed? Because let's not forget too, there have been a lot, a lot of, you know, last minute plot twists with this Arizona story, going back to the days of Judge Redfield T-Bomb. Is there any chance that this is just the Coyotes trying to get leverage on Glendale? It's always possible. There's no question that could be the case. I have had people tell me that they thought they could write a check and things in Glendale would go okay, but there's legitimate heat between them. 
put it this way. I was told that this had to be done because they needed this plan. Okay, so the long-term play then. If there's no new rink in Tempe, Mm -hmm. what then is the long-term play for the Coyotes and the NHL? It's a great question. Like The one thing I believe about Bettman is he's going to have a backup plan. Finally, he reached the end in Atlanta and he had his backup plan. He's got one. And I don't know what it is yet, but I do think he has one. I just find it very hard to believe that he isn't preparing for where else he's got to go. It's just not like him. Mm -hmm. You know, as I said many times, he will do everything he can to protect this market. He's shown that. That's the way he is. I just find it very hard to believe right now he doesn't have his back pocket move if he needs it. So here's my theory, and I've mentioned it on the on the podcast before. This isn't based on insider info. This is just me thinking about what could happen here. If there's no rink in Tempe, they have nowhere to play next season. I don't think the NHL is interested in Arizona relocating because relocating doesn't do the league any financial good and it removes a potential expansion market mm-hmm. from their hip pocket and nobody wants that. So here's my theory. Do we see the NHL's version of the Montreal Expos who didn't just directly pick up and go to Washington, but the team was sold back to MLB and then it was up for auction and that's how they got to Washington and became the Nationals. What I wonder about here is if there's no rink in Tempe, I wonder if we see a scenario where the team gets sold back to the NHL, puts up for auction, and just for sake of argument, Houston becomes a destination, then the team goes to Houston, and you have essentially a relocation, but you have an expansion fee attached to it from the auction for the Arizona Coyotes. It's a great theory. That's what I wonder about. I think it's a really good theory, and I will tell you I've had someone say to me, that the way you are talking is something that has been discussed, but I don't know the answer. Still more questions with this one. You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously. It doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host. Look, everything's on the table. We're going to, you know, try to aggressively retool here. I can tell you everything's on the table. We're looking at the front office. We're looking at the coaching staff, which we have been, our players, investment, whatever we need to do to improve this team. But I don't see it being a, you know, a three, four, five year thing. 
We've invested a lot of money in, in every area, including player development in the last few months. We're doubling the size of our analytics department. Um, we just named Alan McCauley a director of player personnel, and we've added to our pro staff. We've added to our amateur staff. I, I will say this, you know, Comcast has been the same terrific partner to me that they, they were to Ed. I mean, Comcast has been in this thing for 26 years, the controlling partner. So, um, you know, it's... And Comcast is committed to, the, to keeping the fire. Absolutely. I mean, right now, I mean, you know, Chuck's my guy and we're trying to build around that, trying to strengthen his front office team as much as we can. And I'm going to give him a blank check. We're going to get this right. I mean, whatever we need to do. Don't want to, again, don't want to wait. I want to, you know, want to deal with it now. Okay, well, we got some answers as we move from the Arizona Coyotes to the Philadelphia Flyers. Yeah. We got some answers earlier on this week about a potential direction for the Philadelphia Flyers. And I think it's what we expected. Chuck Fletcher and Dave Scott holding a press conference a day after Keith Yandel broke the Ironman record. Congratulations to Keith Yandel. And we heard terms like need more top-end talent, uh, aggressively retool, everything is on the table, Blank check. I like blank checks. Uh, I know. I think a lot of players. <laughs> I, I wish I was in position to get one from Comcast here. Um, we heard Dave Scott say we're not looking at a three to four to five year rebuild. Like the whole press conference. It was a great press. We don't get enough press conferences like this. I loved it. Chuck Fletcher and Dave Scott. Give me one of those. It was a great press conference. Chuck's my guy. Like all of it. Give me one of those press conferences every week to dine out on. Yeah. It was very Philadelphia Flyers. Yeah. It was, no, no, no. There's no long rebuild here. Yeah, we're going to do some things this season, but we're the Flyers and we're coming back, damn it. We got some players. We're going to go get some more and we're coming back strong. It was a very Philadelphia Flyers press conference, Elliot. What did you make of it? You know, like I said, we don't get enough. Of the, there's been so much going on in the world and in everything right now. We don't get enough of these press conferences where we get blank check. There are going to be <laughs> blank checks out here. That's great. First of all, what did we learn? We learned that there's no long rebuild here, as you said. You know, Comcast Spectacore is not interested in three, four, five year process. They expect to contend or at least try to contend for the Stanley Cup next year. That's number one. Number two, we learned that Chuck Fletcher was safe. What does it look like to me here? It looked like to me here that even if Chuck Fletcher wanted to pull the shoot and start over again, like Ron Hextall basically did that. When Ron Hextall became the GM, he said, guys, I've got to get us out of cap hell and I've got to turn some things around. And other people in the organization hated that. That's not what they wanted. Like that's in the Flyers DNA. Ed Snyder, we're not rebuilding. Who's the best goalie? Go out and throw 50 million at them. Bingo. Brisgalov. Brisgalov, come on down. (laughs) That's Philly. And obviously that has not changed. Like I don't have a problem with Fletcher staying if that's the mandate. Here's what I think is interesting is that they asked who the core is and what names did they mention? They mentioned Couturier. Yep. They mentioned Farabee. They mentioned Ellis and they mentioned Hayes. And there were some pretty prominent names missing from there. You know, one obviously is Giroux. And I really thought Chuck Fletcher paid Giroux proper respect before he got to the meat of it. This will be Claude's decision. Yeah. Okay. And we'll talk about Giroux in a second. But what's interesting is who wasn't mentioned. So they've got about $70 million tied up to the cap next year, which will probably leave them around $11, $12 million to play with, assuming that they let their UFAs walk. I'll tell you this. like Everybody's talking Goudreau. 
you know who's a come flyer? On. Blank check, local boy. Come on. But you know who's a flyer if he's not signed? Kadri. Wow. Like, he's a flyer. But again, he's got to be a free agent. We'll see where it is. Nazim Kadri, by the way, with the new agent, yes. Darren Ferris, as well. That will lead to some carnage. But basically, the Philadelphia Flyers let everybody know that if you're a UFA, you have to start reaching out to your third party who knows somebody in Philadelphia and say, is Dave Scott talking about my guy? <laughs> That's what this just did. Yeah. I think the Philadelphia Flyers just sent a note to everybody that they are open for business and what do you want to do? And, you know, to me, the interesting names about this are they didn't mention Konechny. What does that mean for his future? They didn't mention Provorov. What does that mean for his future? And, of course, they didn't mention Giroux, and they said it's up to him. I think what Colorado decides to do here is going to play a role. I, I think they're interested in him. I think he's interested in them. It just comes down to what does Colorado decide it needs to do to, to go out and get to win the Stanley Cup? You know, hearing you for <laughs> I want to go back to blank check for a second. <laughs> Is that a way of cleverly tampering with every free agent? Well, I didn't mention anybody's name. No, I know. But one of my favorite, well, you know how like some general managers will, will talk to agents of players under contract and say things like, oh, if we only had a six foot three, 28 year old, 215 pound right shot defenseman who was born in Red Deer, I'd probably pay that guy $3.5 million times seven. That's a Doug McLean way. Yeah, when you have a conversation with someone, I'm looking for a right hand shot. Maybe he's got hazel eyes and uh, blonde hair. Uh, boy, if we could only find one of those. Do you think Doug McLean could be banned for retroactive tampering the more we tell these stories? I don't think he cares. I think he's like one of those I don't give an F pills we've talked about here on the show. Oh, why? Because he's taking ago. pictures of himself on beaches on while beach. we're all working? Here I am doing Kipper and Borny show on the beach. You like my new office. I love it. I just feel all the people that have to watch him out there tan. <laughs> uh, you know, I'll tell you this. When they said that, and I was just making some calls after, the one name everyone was talking about was Goodrow for the obvious local reasons. But I had people say to me, Kadri, like, you know, they said that guy's a flyer, but we'll see where it all where it all goes. You know, one of the names that, um, and I can't remember which reporter brought it up, but they did talk about it, and that was Daniel Briere's role. And you've written about Briere most recently on Thirty Two Thoughts of, uh, hey, have a look at who he's sitting with. We know that he's going to have more of a prominent position with the Philadelphia Flyers organization. And uh, listen, a lot of that was confirmed at that press conference. Not that I think we really needed much confirmation from either Fletcher uh, or Dave Scott, I guess, Elliot. That was kind of an obvious one. Yeah, and he said it'll be after the season where we get an idea on that. A couple more things here before we get to some emails, Elliot. Aaron Dell, three-game suspension, the elbow on Drake Batherson. Uh, the injury is significant, high ankle, uh, a couple of months. Uh, three-game suspension for Aaron Dell. I want to dovetail that into a quick conversation, uh, not just about that, but also the Taylor Hall and Nathan McKinnon situation. So Hall hits McKinnon. Oh, there's a bad hit by Taylor Hall on McKinnon. Got him right in the head. Landeskog comes over after him. There is a penalty on the play. Both referees have their arm in the air as the athletic trainer comes out. Oh, no. Oh, boy. There is blood all over the ice from the face of Nathan McKinnon, and he is down. He tried to get up, and he just wobbled back to the ice. 
Hey, the look on Taylor Hall's face when he came to the bench right to my right was one of a player that didn't either see, understand what he did or how it happened or that it was something that was done on purpose. But clearly he wasn't even prepared. When Landeskog came back to the bench here, he really shoved him into the boards pretty hard. He wasn't even braced for that. So, oh boy, great applause obviously for the Western Conference All-Star, Nathan McKinnon. He's gushing blood. The primary point of contact is the hands. That was an accident. Of course it was. But where I'm going with it is sort of dovetails into the Arendelle situation. McKinnon's stick flies back into his face. It's gruesome. There's blood all over the ice, and it looks horrible. And you, ha- you, you see Taylor Hall's face. Like, he's not looking around saying, who's coming, who's coming? He's horrified at what's just happened, and he's not that kind of player. But nonetheless, um, Gabriel Landeskog. Chases him a little bit, tries to goad him into one. Let's go. That was a great game, by the way. But a lot of people coming out of both the Aaron Dell, Drake Batherson situation and the Taylor Hall, Nathan McKinnon situation with Landis Gog going after him, you know, talked about this idea of, you know, instant retribution and code and how come Ottawa didn't do anything against Aaron Dell and how come Taylor Hall didn't answer the bell, even though Gabriel Landis Gog afterwards said, Look, I saw the hit in between periods and I thought the hit was fine, but still, you know, implying that Taylor Hall somehow had to oblige him in a fight. Did you see any correlations between those those two events and the code speak around both of those two situations? It just shows you how the game has changed. You remember Greg Steffen? Of course. Greg Steffen and Billy Smith were those two guys. Like they were the fighting goalies, right? Yeah. They didn't just accept fights. They started them. Especially Billy Smith, who fought players consistently. Ask Lindy Ruff what that's like. (laughs) Ruff charged at him. Yeah. (laughs) I was in a game in Toronto. I don't remember the exact situation, but Stefan fought someone or got into a scrum with someone and gladly wanted to do it when he played for Detroit. You know, when we were kids, like that was an all-out brawl and the goalie was expected to answer for it. I have really mixed emotions Like, some people aren't going to like me to hear this, but, you know, what the hell? This is the way I grew up. Like, I always grew up with don't fight, don't fight. But if somebody does something to you where, you know, they're going to hurt you or they start it, you're entitled to fight. I didn't win every fight I was in. I I probably have pretty close to a 500 record. But if someone pushed me around, I tried to defend myself. I wasn't always successful. But I tried to defend myself. It's just different now. It was so funny. You know what movie I was watching last night? Hmm. I don't know why, but First Blood. What? Really? Yeah. It's, it, it, I, I was watching it on Prime, and I, I loved the movie. And I was watching it last night after hockey late at night. I was having trouble sleeping. and <laughs> So you put on a, a movie about a Vietnam War vet? <laughs> well, no. It's just a, such a great movie. Like, like Richard Crennan in that movie, and he comes and he says, to eat things and to make a billy goat puke. <laughs> he tries to get uh, Sylvester Stallone, John Rambo to give up and, he, and Rambo's like, no, they drew first blood. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I always thought if someone picked a fight with you, it gave you license to, or someone did something to you, it gave you license to go back. But, you know, it's different now. Are we seeing any difference, any change in the situation with the Anaheim Ducks and the Chicago Blackhawks? Uh, Vancouver has hired their general manager and their assistant general manager and Emily Castonguay and new GM Patrick Alvin. Do we know what's happening with the Anaheim Ducks and the Chicago Blackhawks now? I think with uh, Anaheim, they had their 
their three internal candidates of all interviewed, Jeff Solomon, Dave Nonis, and Martin Madden. I think they have interest in external candidates, Chris McFarland from Colorado, uh, Ryan Martin, formerly of Detroit, and now with the Rangers. Another name that has now been reported that I thought was in Vancouver but wasn't is Pat Verbeek. I've wondered about John Ferguson from Arizona in Anaheim, and I think there's probably one or two more. I think those are kind of the names, and I think Anaheim is probably getting into its second round. Chicago, so Denny Wirt sent out an interesting update this week that they're only going to hire a GM. Kyle Davidson's going to be interviewed, and they want to have it by the trade deadline. And I have to say that a lot of people are very curious about that. I do think there are teams that have told Chicago and Anaheim that have been asked about permission, and they've said no, not before the trade deadline. The one question I have for Danny Wirtz He said that the GM will be hired and they will be the highest ranking hockey operations person. My question for Danny Wirtz is, is that for now or is that moving forward? As in, could we get to a position where in the summer they say, now we can speak to some more people and we may hire Hmm. a president of hockey ops. He said they're going to have an availability and that's a question I would have for him. Is this now or is this all of it? And that would be the question I have for the Blackhawks. The other thing is they kind of confirm something. So Jamie Faulkner, who's also running this search in Chicago, she has a history in baseball. And I had heard rumors that they were going to interview people in the baseball world for the Blackhawks job. And the fact that they've said that they're going to interview people outside of hockey, I'm wondering if there's any chance of that. Well, this is what Mike Ford talked to us about, too. Yeah. That you're not just staying under your own tent, but you're uh, you're looking elsewhere. On that, we'll pause. Uh, come back with some of your emails at 32thoughts at sportsnet.ca. We're back in a moment. Before we get back to our regular programming, we need to talk about our partner, Montana's Barbecue and Bar. Taco Boat, really? That's right. With $5 tacos available every Tuesday, satisfy any taco craving when you try their seasoned grilled chicken, Mexi spiced beef, Kapow shrimp, or mixed veggie options. Mix and match to try them all or add one to the side of your favorite Montana's item. $5 tacos at Montana's Barbecue and Bar every Tuesday. Some conditions apply. Visit montanas.ca for details. You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously. It doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. 
Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host. Okay, Elliot, finish up here on the podcast with a couple of questions, a couple of emails. This one from Ethan. Uh, first of all, Ethan, thanks for the email. Uh, was wondering what happens with an agent's clients when that agent may get hired to a new job. For example, what happens to Kent Hughes's clients or Emily Castonguay's clients? Do those players get transferred over to someone else or do they have to find a new agent? Ethan, go watch Jerry Maguire and the scene <laughs> where he gets fired and they all race to the phones. Wendy? Cushman's line is busy. You keep calling him till you get through it. Please bring me my numbers. JJ, what's up, kid? Yeah, boy, have you talked to McGuire? Yeah, homeboy had a meltdown or something. I just wanted to be the first to tell you that I was talking to Doritos about you, and they're very interested in you. Hold on, talk to Rick, okay? Martinez, hombre, como esta? See, one of the things I think that happened is, obviously, with Kent Hughes' agency, they knew beforehand that Kent was going to take the job in Montreal. So they started informing their clients and, you know, they get the head start to say, I mean, the rumors were out there. So people I'm sure were trying to see how those players felt, but they could at least had the head start of saying he's going for sure. We're going to convince you to stay. Mm-hmm. It's also pretty obvious here that Emily Castonguay's clients knew that she was leaving to take the job in Vancouver. Yes. So guarantee you that agency was working on, let's make sure all these players stay. But I'm telling you, I have no doubt there was a run on some of these players. Like, I guarantee there were a lot of people looking for Alexi Lafreniere's phone number. Uh, Absolutely. Jordan from Aberdeen. Hello, Scotland. Just wanted to hear your thoughts on teams being able to get a discount on the salary cap in a player that they have drafted and developed. Has always seemed harsh that a team who has invested so much in a player that they can't keep due to market value. That's been floated before. I don't think that that's going to happen. Look, as long as Bettman's in charge, he doesn't like... Like, I like creating flexibility in the salary cap. I like the idea of a franchise player. Mm -hmm. I like the idea of maybe if a a player reaches a certain amount of time with a team, you get some sort of break on it. But that's money outside the system. And he doesn't like it. And you may like it. And I may like it. And Jeff may like it. And your relatives may like it. But the commissioner don't like it. And he's got 11 billion votes. (laughs) That's true. It ain't going to happen. Rob from Spokane. With the frozen cap, at what point will GMs finally get creative with three-way or more trades? I'm a bit shocked they haven't become more common yet, and this feels like the only logical way to get creative with player and salary movements. Well, we've seen some of them. We've seen some. And, uh, you know, remember last year, Doug Wilson, or was it last year or two years ago? Doug Wilson, I can't remember off the top of my head, but someone didn't like the fact that he was a middleman in a deal that got a player to Vegas. Yep. And and one of their media members was like, how can you help Vegas? And he's like, come on, I got an extra draft pick out of it. So it is happening more often. I really think you could see that happen this year because it's so tight. Yeah. And there's a few teams like, like Detroit, like Ottawa, Buffalo, that won't be rushing to make moves at the deadline and they have cap space so they can facilitate that it makes it a bit more expensive but i I do think you're seeing more and uh, more of that and i think there are teams like they let teams know in advance like i think toronto's done this before 
they let teams know in advance, here's what we're willing to pay for you to facilitate it? Great question. Uh, and we'll end on this one. Brian from Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. I was watching a chippy game between the Wild and the Bruins a couple of weeks ago. That was chippy. Each team has a Felino brother. It made me wonder, have brothers on opposing teams ever gotten in a fight in a game? Oh, yeah. Well, the Primos. Yep. That's a big one. The Primo on Primo. I guess that's Primovera then. <laughs> and they're going at it. This is unbelievable. Here they go. No way. Brotherly love right here, I guess. Keith Primo, Wayne Primo. Mom and dad watching? This may go back a long few years. It's all business. Yeah, you never know. This could be payback for something. He's bigger than his brother. Probably ate more food at the table. (laughs) Wayne's a little bit upset with that. But that shows, and I watched it many, many times in my career with the Sutter brothers. It didn't matter. When it was game time, they were just another jersey. They went at each other, and here's a great play by Keith Primo coming to the aid of his goaltender and taking on his brother. So the benches look on. Their parents were at the game. And she and the mother was mad at them. Livid. <laughs> not, she not she cool. didn't like that. No, I, uh, and, and, I, and I think they realized they, they got in a lot of trouble there. Did Ron and Rich ever go? Sutter? I don't know. I remember the Kachucks got mad at the questions. Now would you guys would you guys fight ever? Yeah, they weren't. They almost. Mad. Remember in front of the net? They almost did. Got thrown down and then a stick swing to the jock. That was as close as we've seen those two guys go. Yes. I don't know that we ever see it. You remember the um, uh, Friday Massacre, Good Friday Massacre? Yeah, the Hunters were in that. The Hunters were both in that, Dale and Mark. But I don't think they fought each other. It's funny because I watched that not too long ago. And they engage. This is during the second brawl. So there's the first brawl when Slager hits uh, Jean Hamel and Hamel is, he's out. It's a vicious punch. And then they all go back to the dressing rooms. It's right at the end of the period. And then they come out for the next period. And even before they line up to face off, another brawl starts. And very briefly, Dale and Mark get involved. Like, it's not like they're at center ice and the buckets are off and the gloves and the elbow pads and they're thrown from the cellar. But there was an engagement uh, between Dale and Mark. The one... This was legendary. And I remember asking Scotty Bowman about it once because he was a coach when it happened. Uh, This is a junior fight. When Scotty Bowman was coaching Peterborough, there was a game against Guelph and Bob Plager played with the Guelph Royals. Barkley played with the Peterborough Peets and they had a fight on the ice. They separated them. Then they fought in the penalty box and then, as they separated them and kicked them out, they fought under the stands. Oh, God. Scotty told me it was like one of the wildest things he had ever seen. It was in, uh, in, in junior hockey. I think it was in Peterborough, too. It wasn't in Guelph. Pretty small barn. But, uh, yes, from uh, Brian from Wisconsin, there have been some, not many, uh, examples of, of brothers fighting with one another. Yeah, I've got to ask if the Sutters ever, like, at some point, one, two of them had to do... S- at least the very least, they probably slashed each other somewhere. Something. Like, none of those setters are backing down from anybody, and not a chance. I would figure that somewhere along the way, the setters. Now, were. you know what? Another one I was just thinking about. What's that? Because I just Googled it. It was in an AHL game, 
Andrew Peters fought his brother. Are you serious? I didn't know this. Really? Yes. <laughs> In the American League? Yes. I, I, I remembered this. Is the fight up online? His brother was Jeff Peters. Yeah. Now I remember this. Andrew was playing in the American Hockey League, and I got to figure out where Jeff played. <laughs> and I do remember, because I've heard Andrew tell this story, that he didn't realize it was his brother when they fought. Oh, was it in a scrum and he just grabbed someone and started swinging? I don't know. I, I don't remember the exact situation, but I Googled it. And yes, Andrew and Jeff Peters did fight in a game in the AHL. Wow, that's incredible. All right, so uh, that's where I'm going after the podcast, down uh, YouTube wormholes, trying to find Andrew Peters fighting his brother. Lovely. Welcome into my life. Um, Taking us out today, Elliot, is a San Francisco-based artist whose musical journey started in the 90s with his debut album, A Thousand Tiny Pieces. Sean Hayes' collection of music is colored with all kinds of sounds over his 10 albums, including his latest record, Be Like Water. From his Alabama Chicken LP... Here's Sean Hayes with Everyday Hamlets on 32 Thoughts, the podcast. Brother said he's lonely, you made me sad. Well, she pretty girl could come and save him. And I close by to keep him warm. Tell him everything is all right You're all right, you're all right to be All right, all right, believe All right, all right and Fear is a deer, you're in the light Life is a light, got no grace You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously, it doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host. 